Welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat, the podcast where we take animals you see every day, animals you've heard of, and animals you didn't know existed, and break them down in a single episode. Our goal as animal lovers is to spread knowledge and awareness about the creatures we share this floating rock with. We hope you learn something new. Hello and welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat. I'm Jack. I'm Julia. And what are we talking about today, Julia? Today we are talking about the Japanese macaque. So these are also referred to as snow monkeys, which is probably what I'll be using because I do not want to say Japanese macaque throughout this entire (laughs) thing. Uh, But another name they have for them is the Nihonzuru. Um, It's Japanese, so sorry about that if that's pronounced wrong. But it literally just translates to monkey from Japan. Yeah, I I wanted to do a little preface. Like, obviously, we are native English speakers. So I apologize for if I butcher any of these. I will do my best. Um, Luckily, there's not too many. It's just the places where these are found where there's the more Japanese words. So I apologize in advance if I absolutely butcher them. So these monkeys, uh, like we said, are found in Japan, and they are snow monkeys. So the appearance of them, they have a very thick coat. So they're pretty normal, I would say, monkey-like, except that their coat is a brownish-gray color, which is different than what we see from other monkeys. And their face is also very red. And it changes um, throughout their life, and I'll talk about it more later. But other than that, they're very, you know, like I said, general monkey looking. And so these snow monkeys are found in Japan, obviously, uh, and their their range is pretty uh, far as as for how far north they go and how far south they go. Um, but they are found on the three southern main islands of Japan, which are Honshu, Shikoku, and Kyushu, as well as some other small islands. And because their range is so far, there is slight difference between the snow monkeys in these different parts. For example, the more northern ones tend to be a little bit bigger uh, just because they got to put on the extra weight to keep warm and their coats are a little thicker, fur is a little thicker compared to the ones that live, that live in uh, more southern Japan. And for anyone that doesn't know, Japan is a very mountainous country. And so these monkeys are, are found in these mountains. And they go pretty high up in these mountains sometimes. Uh, the only exception to that being during the winter months when it is extremely cold. But uh, they've been spotted as high as thir- uh, over 3,000 meters or over 3 kilometers up these mountains, which is insanely high. You are not going to find a lot of other uh, bigger creatures up there. Usually they tend to be a lot smaller. Um, and there's definitely not a lot of people living up that high. So these, these monkeys do tend to get really high up there and hence why they have to have these thicker coats to help keep them warm. And just to add on to that, there are no other non-human primates that are more northern living or live in colder climates than these monkeys. And I already kind of talked about what they looked like, but their size is really not that big. They grow to be about two feet tall on average with, you know, being about three feet wide with their arms out. Um, You know, monkeys do have pretty long arms. We know this. And they only weigh on average about 25 pounds. And this is um, a species where the females uh, tend to be smaller than the males. 
And unlike other monkeys, they don't have prehensile tails. They actually have a pretty short and stumpy tail. So where you see a lot of other monkeys use their tails for balance or grabbing onto branches to help keep balance and whatnot. Um, the uh, snow monkeys have a very short stumpy tail, so it's not really as much of, uh, of a useful um, limb compared to other monkeys. So these monkeys are omnivores, and they mostly feast on plants as well as some fruits, seeds, insects, bark, and even soil. And it's the thing where, depending on where they are in Japan, they will eat different things. So you see the the monkeys near the south, they feast more on fruits and seeds because it's warmer there and that's what's there. While, whereas the northern monkeys feast on, you know, leaves and bark and soil because there's not a lot of fruits and seeds up there. And then as for what eats the uh, Japanese macaques, there's not a ton because like we said, they're pretty high up in these mountains. So there's not a ton of other uh, larger creatures up there. The things that we do know that prey on them are mountain hawk eagles. So larger birds, uh, a bunch of dogs, uh, like essentially like feral dogs, as well as the Japanese wolf. And then raccoon dogs, which are a, a distinct species of dog in Japan. So those are really the only things that prey upon the Japanese macaques. So like other monkeys, the Japanese macaques are very vocal. That is one of their main forms of communication is verbal communication. And then as we're talking about the things that prey on them, one of the main vocalizations that we're able to distinguish is a hollering is the best way to describe. It's when a predator is spotted, uh, a, a monkey will start hollering, which will have other monkeys start hollering as well to help alert that, hey, there's a predator around. So just jumping into the reproduction of these monkeys, there is necessarily not a mating ritual with the males, um, but it is something that we have seen before where one male will mate with multiple females. And it's usually that females will have four male mates on average during the mating season. Now, a little fun fact about these monkeys is that during the mating season, the male's face and genital area will become a brighter red while the females will become a scarlet color. And this could be just um, like, it's a kind of a hormonal release. It's just their natural way of saying, hey, it's time to mate kind of. And when they mate, they will tell each other that they are actually ready to mate by walking backwards at each other, kind of, you know, showing off like, hey, I'm coming towards you. I'm ready to mate. You know, it's kind of a nice way of doing it. So during the actual mating season, they will mate in trees as well as on the ground. And I will talk about this more later, but there are different hierarchies uh, with these monkeys. And the more dominant males in each social group will try and mate and actually take over mating with other males. He will disrupt it and try to take it over um, because he is the dominant male. But it, dominance doesn't always mean successful mating. So that's why it's important to have a lot of males mate with these females to have successful breeding. And the females will just give birth to one young at a time, which is, you know, we see this a lot with primates. It's pretty common. And the babies will begin to actually eat and scavenge on their own at two months old, as well as taking milk. And we see like the young, they latch onto the mother's, you know, stomachs and backs. And this is what they do. And that's when they kind of start to like branch out and eat on their own. And one interesting, interesting thing I saw with the Japanese macaque was that the nursing young um, 
a offspring can nurse up to two and a half years. Uh, if the mother does not have any babies in between then, the baby will just continue nursing until it is much bigger and uh, very easily able to successfully go out and forage on its own. And then just some extra little fun facts about the you know their mating and the young is that these monkeys will actually participate in what's called alloparenting. And this is when a female will take in and care for a child that is not her actual biological child. Um, like, like I said, again, we see this a lot with primates. Uh, we saw it, we talked about it earlier when we talked about the vampire bat. It will actually take in and like, quote unquote, adopt this baby as her own. And then it has also been seen that sometimes older males will also take care of the babies. And, you know, I, I don't mean, you know, obviously they don't milk on them. Mm. I mean, they will carry them around kind of like the mother on their stomachs and backs, as well as kind of like pick through their fur like a mother would. There are also documented cases of mainly uh, male macaques com- committing infanticide, which is uh, when uh, the killing of a baby. So it's pr- most likely a domination sort of thing. Don't want the the young of other males to come around, and it's usually the alpha that will perform this. So uh, Julia talks about them being father figures. There are also cases of them being the more uh, more malicious as well. Then as the monkeys grow up, they become part of this really intricate uh, hierarchical social structure. Um, And one of the main things that you see is females tend to stay with the group they were born into. Whereas males, as they grow up and mature, they will leave the troop and they will go and join other ones so that they can mate. And it's a really good way of also spreading genetic diversity, which can be a really helpful thing. And in these social hierarchies, both the male and female monkeys will have their own kind of dominance in the groups. So the alpha male is the one that usually has been in the group the longest or is the one that is closest to the higher ranking female. So like I said, it's very complicated, but it usually is the one that's been in the group the longest because it's been there, you know, it's the dominant one with all the females. And as male come and go, he's the one that's always staying. And then with the females, they will actually maintain their social structure and hygiene through grooming, which we see a lot with monkeys. They will literally just sit there and pick through another uh, fur and clean it from, you know, like dirt, twigs, bugs and stuff. And while they do this to be clean, they also do this to remain a social structure to kind of kind of keep everyone happy in the group in a way. And another interesting thing about their social structure is that their society is uh, matrilineal. So what that means is they maintain the rank that their mother had. So a, a, a female that is high up in the hierarchy, uh, her offspring are more likely to also be higher up in the hierarchy. They keep their mother's status. And with these social structures, um, it does, you know, take effect in their everyday kind of life. So in the mountains uh, where it's really, really cold, some of the monkeys will actually go and sit in hot springs during the day to stay warm. And I I would very recommend like looking up videos of it. It's really fun to look at. But in the hot springs, it is whoever is the most dominant and who is higher status in the group gets to go in the hot springs. If you are a low man on the totem pole and you try to go in, they they have seen them actually kick them out or pull them out of the hot spring. So like I said, it's kind of like the, the higher ranking ones, they get to go in the hot spring. The lower ranking ones, they're kind of cut short. And then another instance that we see this is, again, in the, you know, the colder parts, 
at night, the monkeys will huddle up in groups to stay warm. Um, it's very common to see that as well. Um, but sometimes they will reject or kick out lower ranking monkeys. Um, it, it could be just, you know, their lower ranking, uh, they could have done something wrong within like the actual social structure of the group, but they will leave it by itself overnight. And there are instances where these monkeys will die overnight, um, just by freezing to death because the other monkeys won't let them into their groups to huddle at night. And an interesting comment on Julia talking about the hot springs thing is actually the behavior was found out uh, and was discovered because it was created by humans. Actually, we are the ones who taught them how to use the hot springs. Uh, how it goes is that some people were uh, throwing soybeans away from orchards because uh, Japanese macaques are kind of pests that like to prey upon uh, the the fields and the orchards and whatnot and go and take those. So they were trying to get these macaques away from these orchards and they threw soybeans into this hot springs and a Japanese macaque chased down the soybeans and went to the hot springs and it later returned to the hot springs with young and it later returned with even more monkeys. And so the monkeys soon learned that, Hey, these hot springs are a great way to get away from the cold and stay warm. And they began invading other hot springs and other uh, human spas up in the mountains that the uh, the officials in the area actually made some hot springs. They man-made some to uh, for the Japanese macaques to start using instead of the human ones. And just to kind of wrap up the information that we have on them, um, as monkeys, you know, usually are, they live on average between 22 to 27 years. Um, and they have found some that are as old as about 35 years old, uh, which is, you know, pretty typical with monkeys, primates, um, and being their size and where they're located in Japan, uh, that's a, about the right age it should live. And also a little like happy fun side of this is that their population size is nothing we need to worry about. It's actually estimated that there's about 115,000 in Japan and they are listed as least concern with their population steadily growing, mostly because no one's out there to bother them, really. They're so, like we said, high up in the mountains, so secluded in these colder parts that humans aren't really a threat to them. It's only their natural predators. And another thing that really helps the uh, numbers for the Japanese macaques is the Japanese government actually has protections on them. Uh, under the Convention of International Trade and Endangered Species, uh, they are even though they are not immediately threatened, there are protective measures in place to make sure they cannot be hunted and they have protection in wildlife parks all throughout Japan. And just a couple fun facts about the, uh, you know, the Japanese snow monkey. Um, they can actually develop accents based on areas they are from, just like humans can. And we've actually observed it where groups of them just, you know, merely hundreds of yards away from each other have these different accents, which is kind of cool to think about. And then another fun fact I have is that they are extremely, extremely intelligent creatures. And we have observed them doing some behaviors that, you know, kind of points us to the direction. And one of them is that these researchers uh, left some potatoes on a beach for the Japanese monkeys. And they noticed one of the females, after grabbing one, went over to a local river to actually wash it off of all the sand and debris. And then they also saw later that this same uh, female went back to the ocean and would dip it in the ocean in the salt water to, uh, quote unquote, flavor it. And then after she did it, the rest of uh, the monkeys in the group also followed her and 
went in and dipped it and gave it flavor. And as we talked about their, you know, their social construct and hierarchical, they are a family at the end of the day. And they are one of these creatures that we see where they have fun. Um, you know, they mess with each other. They play games. Uh, maybe not in the way that we think, but they are extremely uh, communicational with each other. And one of the ways that we've seen this is we've actually seen them rolling up snowballs for fun. So mothers will take their young out and they will roll up snowballs for fun and they think it's just so fascinating rolling them up and seeing this big ball of snow. So a fact that isn't necessarily fun, but it is a fact about the Japanese macaques is they are very similar to us in their immune systems. They contract a lot of the same diseases that humans do. And so they are used in a lot of biomedical and research studies, which I know there's a lot of contention about uh, the hum- the humaneness of that and uh, if we should be doing that. But that is just something that does go on. They are used for those research purposes. And then uh, one really fun one, I think, that really uh, captures the Japanese macaque is uh, they were known as mythical beasts, known as, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's uh, Raiju. And they were keepers of Raijin, which was the god of lightning in the Shinto belief. Uh, I know a lot of Japanese religion has a lot of uh, monkey, mythical beasts, and like figures. Uh, so the Japanese macaque was renowned as one of these mythical beasts throughout the uh, Shinto religion. And that about wraps up everything we have on the Japanese macaque. Uh, be sure to tune in next week when we talk about the polar bear. And don't forget to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find those handles in the description for the episode. I'd also like to thank my friend, the musical artist known as Shades, for creating this amazing intro and outro for this podcast. I highly recommend checking out his other work.